0: The show! You have all made it through
1: the dance. Yeah. You have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 312. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, someone I vibed with immediately, and I love when that happens. When you meet someone new and you go, oh, cool, all right, we already speak the same language. Her name is Molly Smith, and I was connected to her by the Discussion Combustion guys, Kevin and Art. What's up, fellas? Thanks again for a great guest recommendation. I love the way we kind of have an exchange here. Now, Molly, I was on her show. It's a podcast called Did That Age Well?, where she and a guest will rewatch a movie that they haven't seen in a long time, and they'll start to talk about it. This is like pure catnip for me. That's exactly what I want to do almost all the time, microphone in front of me or no. So you put a microphone in front of me, I go, hell yeah, let's do it. And we had an awesome time. We had a great chat. It was both intellectual. It was silly. It was fun. It was just terrific. And I go, Molly, gotta come on my show. And on this week's show, we not only talk about podcasting, We not only talk about pop culture, and we do both of those a lot, we talk about her actual day job. She's a copywriter. She works in a financial services firm. And so we talk about what copywriting actually is. Now, I myself have done a ton of copywriting. And so we can kind of talk about the difficulties, the challenges, the uniqueness of that, because it's a little bit more complex than people want to think. If you're not in the industry, you don't know kind of how you sweat blood over concepts, over character limits, over limits on calls to action you can actually make. It's a deceptively complex task. And so we unpack it a little bit. We talk about it. We also lament what it's like to be a writer, because being a writer is kind of torturous. It's very rewarding, and I can't not do it, literally. Like, I've tried to stop writing. I've tried to get away from it in various parts of my career. I just, that's what I do. That's who I am. I am a writer in my core. We also spend some time talking about what grad school's like, how it differs from undergrad, why college group work sucks, and why college professors who are like, you should really get used to doing group work, because in the real world, you have to collaborate with people, you have to get together, you have to do things as a team. Yes, that's true. But all these people are getting paid, and they have specific jobs and specific knowledge. This is not every Tom, Dick, and Quasimodo in your class with varying degrees of work ethic. That's just not how it works in the real world. We're all professionals. We all know how to do a job. So college professors, when you're assigning group work, I don't know, don't. And finally, one of the things that we talk about a lot during this one is generational stuff. Boomers, millennials, Gen X. Why that matters, why she's interested in it, why I'm annoyed by all of it. And I suppose it's not so much that I'm annoyed by it. It's more that I find it exhausting because, as we note in this episode... Every single argument seems to be weaponized. And there's a lot of finger-pointing and a lot of blame and a lot of sort of hand-wringing about the state of the world and whose fault it is. Hey, how about this? How about we work together? How about we try and build bridges, which is exactly what we're doing on this show and shows like this. So, suffice to say, my conversation with Molly was stimulating, it was fascinating, it was fun, it was silly, we laughed a bunch, we covered some important topics, and... Man, we're approaching the end of the year, and the fact that I still have this much steam on this show is a real tribute to Molly. She's a great guest, and I'm proud to bring this episode to you. I hope we get to work together on creative stuff again. Now then, a couple of quick plugs. No matter what podcatcher you're listening on, do me a favor, leave me a rating, leave me a review. And I know I say all podcatchers. What I'm really referring to is iTunes. That's the one that almost everyone is using or Apple Podcasts, I suppose. I made an editorial decision a long time ago to just refer to it as iTunes because Apple Podcasts sounds dumb to me. I don't know why, but it does. So, if you would be so kind, take just a couple of seconds, leave me a rating, hit that subscribe button, and if you have a couple of seconds, just jot down a couple of notes about what you like about the show. If it was a particular guest, if it's my interview style, if it's my kick-ass entrance music, whatever it is, A few words goes a long way. I appreciate you. Now then, that's the only plug I'm going to do in the front end here. Let's get to this week's episode. I've got Molly Smith. She is the creator and host of the Did That Age Well podcast. She's a professional copywriter. She's whip smart and enormous fun to talk to. And her episode starts right now.
0: I always hold a soft spot in my heart for the Rio. Even though the Rio has expanded to other cities, I feel like it really is a Fort Collins staple. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. It's also my parents' favorite restaurant, so like we went there a lot growing up.
1: My favorite is the Pickle Barrel on Laurel.
0: I love the pickle barrel and I didn't discover it until I was like late in high school. I was nice. really late to the pickle barrel and that place fucking rocks.
1: <laughs> it's unreal. It's so good. <laughs> um, I, yeah. So I, one time went there after we had a test, it was like a final or a midterm or something. And I really helped one of my classmates out, and we just got blitzed there. Mm-hmm. We we both got a great sandwich, and then we sat at the bar because it's a great bar too. I don't know if you've ever yeah. sat at that bar; it's terrific.
0: It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's like the classic. I don't know. It's it's not quite like a dive bar, but it's kind of like a dive sandwich shop with a really cool bar. You know what I'm saying? It totally is. That,
1: you you are a copywriter for a reason. You're right. <laughs> So this is Molly Smith. She's a copywriter. She's also the host of the Did That Age Well podcast, of which I was recently a guest. That was phenomenal. We should talk about that. And you're currently working in like finance and investments. Is that right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So I work for a division in a company that does wealth management. So I just started recently, and pretty much what I do is I write advertising copy and email campaigns and stuff like that to encourage people to start investing money with us. So it's cool. It's an industry that I didn't have any experience in prior. I came from the nonprofit world, went to grad school, and then decided to kind of move into something different. Didn't really expect that I would end up here, but I really (laughs) like it. I mean, I have, I have a job where I get to write all day. And I really can't ask for more than that.
1: You know, I agree with you. Um, and write like copywriting is interesting because I've done a shitload of copywriting in my life. Yeah. And uh, there are so many people who think they can do it, but to do it effectively is really, really challenging. And with any given assignment that you have, you have to thread a very specific needle. Finding that through line is not always the easiest thing. Uh, how's it been in this industry coming from the nonprofit world? How was the adjustment for you?
0: It's interesting because, um, because I work in wealth management, there's a lot of regulations, which is great. We love SEC regulations. I love that they're like careful to not like mislead people yeah. into putting money somewhere. But it's interesting because in my past roles working in copywriting in the nonprofit world, there were really direct people in marketing, as you know, call calls to action. So like volunteer, go to this page. Sign donate, up here. Yeah. Sign up here. And our direct marketing is kind of like direct with a twist because we can't directly (laughs) like make promises of anything. We can say like, we believe you could potentially those types of things. And so it's interesting trying to be creative in the way that we create our calls to action without making any type of promises or like being held liable with people's money. So I don't want to say that like the stakes aren't high in nonprofits. They had a strong mission and you want to be like aligned with that. But there, uh, I mean, the stakes are higher <laughs> where I am now because like, sure. our, because our company deals with like a lot of people's money. So, um t- so to be able to kind of like finesse that into a call to action is it's kind of a fun puzzle. And I think you're right that there is... Copywriting is a unique type of writing in that I think most people would think, oh, okay, so you're writing 150 characters. That'll take you two minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, so you just have to come up with one line. Yeah. But that is...
1: <laughs> it has to be doing the, so much work. Like, Yeah, you
0: have to... Every single fucking letter and space counts for so much. There's so much precious space and Mm -hmm. you can't waste it. And so to be able to make something sound good and interesting, sound like a human talking to another human (laughs) and keep it within a number of different characters or even like, you know, in some long form copywriting to make it still like interesting and promotional and encouraging people to do something it's totally different from the way that I would write like a long form essay on, I don't know, something in pop culture, you know? Yeah. So it is, it, there's like, <laughs> it's a little bit more of a puzzle and not that other types of writing don't have strategy. There's strategy in all writing. It's just a totally different type of strategy yeah. than like almost any other type of writing. No. Is that your experience too?
1: Oh yeah. Um I was going to ask you about something else too, because... Do you do much ghostwriting? Like, because I end up ghostwriting letters and op-eds and letters to the editor and things like that. So I have to get into the mindset of who is assigning their name to this. And so like, this is not AstroTurf shit that I'm creating either. This is, I, mm-hmm. like, you have to generate the raw material for someone because that's the hardest part. Like, right. ev- every project you start starts with a blank fucking Word document and you're, you're basically painting it, um, every single time. So I was going to ask you about writing personas. Do you have like mm. personas that you kind of get in the mindset for? Um And and how do those differ from one another in terms of your day to day?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like there's kind of two different sides of this. So there's one I think is a, a kind of like what you're asking is like adopting a persona in order to speak to an audience. But then on the other side, there's also like writing to different personas in your audience. Oh, and right. Like, yeah there's i think i've done especially in school i did a lot more work on identifying like the different personas that we're trying to reach sure and writing to those personas sometimes in the voice like of that persona to try and like <laughs> to make mirror a it, connection yeah. to be like i'm just like you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and you got to get people to read um, yeah. this fucking shit too which is like yeah. the thing about it too because that's why it's so challenging because it's like anyone can write really stale and like antiseptic brand copy, like that's mm-hmm. so, sometimes that's where you start. But to actually, your, <laughs> I love the way you said it to make it sound like a fucking human wrote it. Yeah, um, is really important because you want people to continue reading at least up to a point. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the architecture of a press release, like right. the, the upside down triangle. Like at a certain point, you know, you're going to lose audience the further you get in copy. Right, but it—I hadn't thought about it from that angle, but I suppose I do it too. Which is, yes, mm-hmm. think about your audience, and then, write like reverse engineer the copy to match the experience of that audience.
0: Totally. But I will also say that my experience in like taking on different personas—I guess I would—I would say it more as like taking on a different voice. I think is really fun. I feel like it a lot of the time in my creative writing. I have a specific. Voice that I tend to gravitate, excuse me, that I tend to gravitate toward. But in my, um, professional writing, I really like being kind of like a chameleon and being able to pick up on the voice that I'm trying to embody and then just use that. Yeah, it's cool.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is interesting, um, to be able, and, and once you're able to do that, you can use that skill in really interesting ways. I, I will tell you in my experience, the easiest per, like types of people to go straight for are elected officials. Yes. Like literally, they, they are the easiest folks because all you have to do is focus on high level values, build a few points around that, and then improve the vocabulary by like 25%, uh, uh, like mm-hmm. above the average person, and they will go ape shit for it. And you get to use really dumb words like lodestar.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So like
1: um I, I'm curious like how many different types of things are you working on in a given day or a given week or a given month? So I mean you mentioned email campaigns. What what types of things are you creating here?
0: So I'm creating at this point. So like I said I'm still pretty new in my role, but I would say that like in general in my past experiences and what I anticipate I'll kind of be getting into the rhythm too, is like Spend a little bit of time working on ad copy for social media or other digital platforms. Working a little bit on writing long form emails, which basically just means like instead of directing people to a blog post, it's pretty much just the content in the email, which you know, um, and then also some shorter form emails, the kinds of things that are more like, like I was saying before, like a call to action, I'll like work on a little bit of that. I'll work on a little bit of like marketing materials, like one pagers. I used to work at a nonprofit that was in the education space and it was just like one pager nation. There are so <laughs> many goddamn one pagers and, uh, informational material like that is another thing that I work on. Um, but yeah, like in a given day or a given week, I would say I usually work on like a couple projects at a time. In my nonprofit world, I was working on like
1: <laughs> everything, five to right? ten pro- yeah. I
0: was working on everything all the time. But mm-hmm. now being on a team that's a little bit more robust, working in a private sector, like working at a company where things are a little bit more divided up by specialty, I am able to... Like I kind of have the projects that I'm working on and I'm able to put my head down and work on those. That's nice.
1: I do. Um, do you, are you like paired up with uh, a graphic designer or a design team when you're doing ad copy stuff?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the graphic designer that I work with is awesome. I mean, really everyone on my team is awesome. I love my team. It's (laughs) so,
1: that's awesome. Like when you hear about big companies, like that's not always the story that comes first from people. And mm-hmm. so to hear that is is always super rewarding because I think it gives a lot of people hope that those companies still exist yeah. wh- where it you know it's it's fun to work and you get to do creative interesting things like stimulating work instead of the podcast we did was about office space <laughs> which is sort of about this existential ennui that many yeah. people feel in office culture and so what you're describing is the opposite. And that makes me happy because I know sometimes I've worked with designers and you have to have almost like this specialized secret vocabulary for each other. And so getting on the same page with the designer, how has that been for you? And, and like, what's the process for when you're doing an ad? People always ask what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Is it the idea right. with the copy or is, do you have like a visual thing? How does it typically unfold for you?
0: What I've noticed so far is that typically it starts with the idea, then the copy and the design somewhat take place like simultaneously and then kind of like come together for an end product. But yeah, a lot of teams and a lot of companies do it differently. And sometimes it even varies like project to project. But I think that it generally works best when like everyone is kind of using the idea first and then working in tandem, like as you go, you know, like leaving enough space that everyone can sort of like do their job, but making sure that you're like going in the same direction because design and copy are not in silos. Like they complement each other. They go together, people consume it as one thing. And so if you're disconnected and you're just kind of like, all right, well the copy's done now do the design. You're like, (laughs) here's the design. Now do the copy. I don't know, in my experience, it's kind of like, oh, well, okay, this kind of changes everything now. I'm going to start my work over. Yeah. that.
1: Well, if you did it the way that you just described, it would turn out like some weird avant-garde German bullshit. Right. (laughs)
0: Like
1: someone just hands you a picture for you to write copy for and you go, what the fuck kind of like writing exercise is this? (laughs) Like this is like some goofy prompt I would do, you know, like in art school, in high school. I
0: was just going to say this is like a high school art class. Like that's <laughs> what.
1: <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. One of the things. So we first met doing your show that did that age well podcast. And one of the first things I was struck by was you and I like could hang with each other really easily intellectually. And mm-hmm. so which is always fun because like. I assumed that, but you never know for sure until you get to know someone. I'm sure you, True. you had whatever expe- expectations of me that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I started looking you up and we both have advanced degrees, which is always fun. Um, Look at us. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple <laughs> of assholes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you have it. And so you were at DU and you have an MS. I, at first, I thought it was going to be an MBA, just mm-hmm. the way it was written. But it's an MS. What is that program like that you went through at DU, and and what what was your specialty in it?
0: So the program that I went through at DU is a specialized master's degree. So it was within the business school, but rather than getting an MBA, which if I went full time would have been a two year program, where I would have been studying all kinds of things in business, right. um, probably wouldn't have gotten to marketing until my second year, which I know, <laughs> I know very definitively that like marketing is what I want to be in. Marketing is what I do. I don't feel like learning about the ins and outs of accounting would really advance me in my career or be something that, like, people even really cared about. (laughs) So um, so instead, I did a specialized master's in marketing where I could really hone in on just that topic. And within that, I think, you know, my specialty was definitely – more on like the research side, because that's something that I didn't have as much experience in, you know, I have experience as a creative marketer, I have experience in writing. And so I really wanted my degree to be something that was going to be like a value add and not just like something that I was like, Oh, well, I do this thing. So I'll just keep doing it. And then I'll get a (laughs) degree. Like I wanted it to be something different than what I had done in my past so that I could like expand my skill set, add a couple of things to the resume, you know, like I'm a writer at heart. And so I feel like I kind of brought that into all of the different things that I was working on. But my experience in the program was honestly, like I'm trying to decide like the best way that I want to phrase this. Essentially, like one of the complaints that I've had that I am not shy to say is that it was really just like a nine month period of group projects oh god generally and the group projects generally did not mirror what my experience had been in the workplace like people talk about like group projects they help you collaborate you're gonna have to collaborate in your next job and i'm like you know what i've been working and it's never like this people have their specific job titles not just like (laughs) Asshole who slacks off and the woman who does all the work, which is how it goes. Like the other women in my program and I like really, I mean, nothing brings people together like common enemies, but (laughs) shout out to the like small handful of men who actually did work and the rest of them, like we just earned their degrees for them. So, Ah. you know, yeah.
1: Well, that, that sounds like a reflection of society in many ways. Uh, Yeah, definitely. um, Thankfully, not too much group work in my master's program. Mine was two years. That's great. I also taught public speaking. But what our program had was a shit lot of writing and Mm -hmm. so much reading. And so, I mean, I have my master's in communication studies and with an emphasis in media studies. And so mostly it was like, watch this text, read these books, and then write about it and like... Figure out a way to further the argument or, you know, create your own argument or build, whatever, right? So it was mostly just me and my writing cave. But what I didn't realize at the time was that that was going to be so useful when you can learn how to write on deadline. Oh yeah. Um, that is, that's an amazing skill set because the words will come whether you, whether you feel like you <laughs> want to or not.
0: They're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I also have something that that I've said a lot and it's, I don't like writing. I like having written. Mm,
0: Do you identify with that? That is not the truth. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I so identify with that to be done with a piece or even just to have a draft finished is there's just nothing like it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's such a victory. Like it's a load off, man.
0: Yeah, it really is. And the creative process and like the writing process can be fun. But it's so much more fun when it's finished. Like it's still a job. It's still like anything else where it's like, sweet, now that's off my list.
1: Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you still write for fun?
0: I do sometimes over the past year or so. I started my podcast because I was sort of stuck in a creative rut. Yeah. I found that, I mean, kind of going back to what you were saying about your grad program, that's really what my academic experience was like in undergrad. When I studied English, I went to a liberal arts school. I was a women's studies minor. Like it was, it was basically just like reading something and writing or like reading something and creating an argument or like writing a story and having your peers, like criticize you and then you criticize them and then right. everyone becomes a better writer. But in, sorry, I just kind of lost my train of thought. You were asking. No, you were going to um... My creative, my creative rut is what I was yeah, yeah. going to talk about. Yeah. So when I got into my grad program, I really, my academic experience was so different. It wasn't the same type of like critical theory and critical thinking and like, writing essays like I never wrote an essay in grad school which is fucking weird yeah can you believe that
1: (laughs) that's like all I mean that's all I do anymore ever anyway but (laughs)
0: right yeah so I wasn't even really like I wasn't even writing in school and I was feeling like outside of school I didn't have I don't know I was just kind of like hitting that block that I think probably a lot of people in their mid late 20s hit where they're like what's left to write. So I, <laughs> so I decided, I was like, I need to do something different, which is why I started my podcast. Cause I was like, I need a different creative outlet. Yeah. And so that's really been my focus over the past year and has helped my writing. I have been doing some of my own writing just on my own outside of my professional life because I'm like now in a better creative flow, if you yeah. will. I hate saying that, but like
1: it's true though like it, it, <laughs> yeah I mean it ebbs and flows like there are times I went through this just uh, like a couple of months ago I'm like I am fucking dry like I got mm-hmm. nothing left in the well and writing is I think one of the reasons it's so torturous is it has to come from within you like you have to mm-hmm. generate it from within you like there's no other way to do it like that right the the words are yours for better or worse and so
0: right
1: it's funny like it was actually about a year ago, a year and some change. That's why I started the blog series on my site called Top Five oh, Fun cool. Friday, mm-hmm. and they're just goofy lists of shit from my life. Like, and so mm-hmm. I'm not as up on pop culture as I used to be because I'm a 40 year old fucking dad, and <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of have to mine my own like experience and just, I had to go within me. But the reason I did that was I was writing so much for clients. I couldn't write for myself anymore. And I forgot how to Mm -hmm. do it. Do you ever have that problem where you go like, okay, I've been writing for clients and I know how to do that, but it's not good anymore either. So like I have to find what makes me, me and what makes me as a writer. Have you experienced that? And what do you do to overcome it?
0: Yes, I definitely have (laughs) experienced that. I went through a period where not to like really make it dark but I will because it's my experience mm-hmm. um, when I was working in my in my last job in uh, like 2018 2019 I lost a friend of mine one of my close friends died by suicide and mm-hmm. I was just like I couldn't really function yeah. at work like I was kind of getting by a little bit but I was like you know I think that for a lot of people, going through a loss or a tragedy or trauma and then they go to work and they like can't really function is a, is a very common experience. However, to see that, like my writing sucked, (laughs) it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm doing bad at my job. But it's like this thing that is so intrinsically like a part of me and this creativity that I really, I don't know, is just like so embedded in my identity. The fact that like, what I'm producing sucks, (laughs) it just like, it kind of stings a little bit more. I'm not trying to say like my situation is worse than people in other jobs, but it did, it, it just like hits different when like the product is stuff that you just like generate from your mind. And if it sucks, you're like, wow, my mind is not really working that well.
1: It's a little bit more of an existential crisis.
0: Yes, it is a lot more of an existential crisis. Classic artist, like (laughs) fucking classic, (laughs) getting in my feelings when my work is not great and being like, what does this say about me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. But people are turning to you for like, and once you get a reputation as a writer too, people will go, oh good, we can hand this off to Mm -hmm. John or we can hand this off to Molly or whatever. And we know like we're going to get what we're going to get is good. And you go, you motherfuckers have no idea <laughs> like the, the way I sweat blood for this shit sometimes. Yeah. Just because I do it effectively and do it like in, in a very efficient and fast manner mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean that I'm not sitting here just like churning my guts trying to like spin yeah. gold. So it, it's, yeah. in some ways, it's just it's awful.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that's another reason why a lot of professional writers have a hard time keeping up with or feeling motivated in their personal writing or any projects that are, like, not related to their full-time job. Because, like, you get to the end of the day and you're just, like, so fucking drained. And, yes, like, work is exhausting, in general you're like whatever you're humans. doing but whatever you're doing it's exhausting but when you come home and you're like i just can't imagine looking at my computer screen for another hour <laughs> and doing anything else
1: yeah congrats on finishing this day of writing your reward is more writing and you go
0: yeah. Man, <laughs> fuck off
1: like, <laughs> no thank you like exactly I, I don't i don't want that at all that's why people always ask me like what podcasts do you like what podcasts do you listen to i'm like Motherfucker, I don't listen to other podcasts. Like, really? uh, I I do sometimes, but the problem is I produce like six shows, Mm
0: -hmm. and so like, true, yeah. The (laughs)
1: last thing I want to do is spend more time with big blocks of audio. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's hard because like I got into podcasting because I love podcasting and I love the shows that I work on. But sometimes it's just too much, man. Like I can't, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in doing more of this just for amusement because this is my whole professional day.
0: Yeah. That Um, makes a lot of sense. Another
1: question I had for you was, because I do this too, there are certain types of writing that I like and even if I'm not Mm -hmm. interested in what, necessarily what they're writing about, and I'll give you an example of this, I love the style of writing. I love the way they write about things. And I tell you that, um, that I love reading about soccer. Mm. just because, like, I, I don't much give a shit about soccer. It's not my sport. But the way that people write about soccer is just fascinating and very, like, sort of pastoral and poetic. Do you have anything like that where, like, there's types of writing that you just love to read?
0: I think that, for the most part, like, um, humor writing, even if I, like, if somebody is writing a satirical piece about a piece of pop culture that I haven't seen I generally still like it, even if not every joke lands and I don't totally understand what I'm reading. <laughs> I still, I still really enjoy that. And in general, I think that TV and movie criticism. I read is, so much
1: of that. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. That's really, that's what I love to read. And I yeah. read it and I read that type of content for the, you know, TV and movies that I really like. But even for things that I don't know of things that I don't actually it's really fun sometimes reading criticism of the things that I don't like do you do you
1: read movie reviews of movies you have no intention of seeing yeah (laughs) I do too all the
0: time all the time because I love that style I love the different takes that people have and there's if it's a popular enough piece of pop culture there's a lot of people writing about it so you can get a little bit of a different flavor from each person but there still is kind of that common thread
1: well and that it, to me is like that gives you conversational currency too so mm-hmm. like i'll I'll read um i read a ton about game of thrones i've seen like an episode and a half of that show like it's just not mm-hmm. for me i don't give a fuck um right like <laughs> pete holmes says uh anytime <laughs> we're in like realms i'm just not terribly interested and i'm kind of the same way
0: oh totally um, so
1: <laughs> it's like in this realm okay see you later nope Um I'm all set. But um I read a lot about it and so you could keep you could like talk to people about it and it's interesting hearing their insights about different things. And so you get the benefit of seeing a lot of texts without having to dedicate that much time to it, which I really like.
0: I love that too. And even more than that, I love the Twitterverse reaction to stuff like that, like being a Game of Thrones non-watcher and being like just bearing witness to people's reactions <laughs> on Twitter is truly just, like, one of my favorite pastimes.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I, I heard you on... By the way, shout out to Kevin and Art at Discussion Combustion for getting us hooked up here. Um, hey, hey, I was watching you on that show, and you were talking about how you were trying to slog your way through the MCU.
0: That is, that is a project in the works.
1: (laughs) And I empathize with you because like, I don't particularly care about those movies. I've seen Mm -hmm. maybe ten of them at this point. And it's like the ones that everyone else has seen, you know, it's like the Avengers and I saw like the last two Avengers and I saw Black Panther. And Mm -hmm. like, they're all good, but they all kind of have like a B plus saminess about them. Yes. And so like, you know exactly what you're getting. You're like, yeah, okay, I like, I'm up for this flavor again. I mean, I suppose it's like making a fucking pot of mac and cheese. I don't know.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, sometimes people go pretty crazy for mac and cheese and more power to them. But (laughs) I am like probably about halfway through. I think I'm at guardians of the galaxy right now. And that one was pretty cool. I really liked it. I mean, it's James Gunn. even, Even the ones that I am like, Oh, I liked that. I don't feel like I need to rewatch it and I'm a rewatcher. I love rewatching stuff. I mean, that's like what my whole podcast is, but, (laughs) um, I love rewatching and I really just am like, yeah, this is just about as average as I thought with the exception of Black Panther. I do think that Black Panther is an excellent movie, but I I saw that before I even got into the MCU. That was my only experience with, like, superhero movies ever, basically. Like, I can't even think of other... I guess I saw (sighs) Spider-Man... Um, the Tobey Maguire one, Uh like when it came out, that was cool, but (laughs) I think I liked it because other people liked it. I was like young enough that I was like,
1: well, you would have been what? I didn't have my
0: own taste.
1: (laughs) You would have been what? Like eight years old when that came out? (laughs)
0: Yeah. I was in elementary school and I was like, I want to like things that other people (laughs) like. I want to be cool and watch a (laughs) PG-13 movie.
1: (laughs) Ooh. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, So speaking of rewatchability, I love doing that too. That's like one of my favorite things. And so when I got invited to do your show, you asked me what I wanted to talk about. I'm like, I could talk about any number of things here because
0: I I loved that too. I was like,
1: yeah, so what do you want to talk about? And you were like, "Ah." it was like, it was as though I could hear you going deep breath. Well, and you turned like you opened the fire hydrant here. I'm curious, like, It's interesting in 2021, how long have you been at the podcast now?
0: Um, Almost a year.
1: Okay. So congrats, almost a year. Um, Thank you. Almost, I mean, so many people have podcasts now. You said you were in a creative funk. What propelled you to make this choice in terms of this type of podcast to do?
0: I wanted to do something that was related to pop culture because that's what I really love. That's what I like talking about. And I found that like conversations about movies and TV shows are the, the kinds of conversations I was having with my friends. And I wanted to kind of like replicate that, but in a way that was a little bit more entertaining for other people to listen right. to. I kind of started with that, like the interest in pop culture. And at first had been thinking about starting a recap podcast based on um like a TV show in real time, but pretty much any TV show that is good or interesting to talk about, there are already five other podcasts <laughs> sure. that are very popular that people listen to that are recapping that. And so, um so then I noticed in the pandemic that a lot of people were rewatching some of their comfort TV shows and comfort movies. And among my friends, like there were just these conversations coming up about like how things aged. Oh, and sure, yeah. I guess, and I originally, My idea was to talk about movies, only movies that didn't age well. And originally the title was going to be That Didn't Age Well. (laughs) And then my good friend Ari Agnew, shout out, she suggested to me, like, maybe you should form it as a question, like, did that age well? And I was like, oh, my God, that opens up so many doors because I can talk about movies that maybe did age well. And what I found in my experience, I'm so glad that I decided to – frame the topic as a question because so many of the movies that we do discuss are kind of a mixed bag. And like, we might still be left with the question, like, did that age well?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so it did. It
0: um, yeah, it did in some ways and it didn't in other ways. And so to be able to like have a little bit more nuance and just like, and it just like expands the type of content that we can talk about. So I am a, classic millennial and I love having conversations with other millennials, but I have kind of like, there have been, um, some folks kind of on like the elder millennial gen X spectrum, like you. Uh And then also I've had like a couple of gen Zers who I ask, you know, like what's up with side parts, what's up with skinny jeans, that kind of (laughs) stuff. And, but for the most part, like my audience that I'm targeting is really like nostalgic millennials who also are interested in like examining pop culture. So yeah.
1: It's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I am on like the border of millennial and Gen X mm-hmm. and that like, there's been a lot of ink spilled about my particular little micro generation too. It's between like 1977 and 1983 that mm-hmm. they call it. So like Oregon trail generation, Um exactly. that kind of shit. And I find most of it exhausting, but one thing I will say is we can be united in our annoyance against boomers though for sure. Absolutely. Uh, um so but you put that right up front and I think even on your Twitter bio it says uh Denver's favorite millennial.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. The,
1: it it sounds <laughs> like you have pretty strong identification with your generation, is that true?
0: I would say absolutely and a lot of it is in like kind of a self-deprecating, self-aware in sort of a with like some lightness kind of way. Okay. I mean that My little, like, um, Denver's favorite millennial (laughs) blurb came from when I was writing the description for this podcast. And I was like, I wanted to shout out Denver. I wanted to identify with where I am and also with the Denver podcasting community. And, you know, a lot of podcasts are based out of L.A. or New York, and I wanted to do something different. Sure self-describing as Denver's favorite millennial is the most millennial thing that I could do (laughs) to say like, I'm like a millennial in Denver. Like that's everybody in my neighborhood. That's not, that's not cool or interesting, but to have sort of this, like, I like to think of it as tongue in cheek. Maybe other people don't read it that way. Um, but to say like I'm Denver's favorite millennial is the epitome of like my generation, and I also have, like, such a fondness for that. So, yeah, I would say I really, I really identify with my generation, but I also think that, like, the generational wars are really stupid.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except
0: for, minus, like, boomers, because, you know.
1: <laughs> but Yeah. Um yeah. I, I have a friend who is about my same age, and he tells me his favorite movie is The Big Chill. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, that fucking boomer catnip? Get out of here. Like, Okay,
0: I love that movie. Are you kidding me? What the fuck? Why? (laughs) Because (laughs) it's, (laughs) I mean, it is bizarre, but I think that it is, it's funny. It's heartfelt. I think that it's, it's like kind of dark. And there's a lot of great one-liners. The soundtrack is really fun. And I think that it's well cast. Yeah, I just have like a fondness for it. But again, I also I think that part of me is again this is like the millennial in me being like, well, here's how it relates to me. Um, (laughs) Can we get back to to,
1: what's really important here? How the world me
0: (laughs) 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 exactly. So I'm glad we took a detour to talk about anything else. But let's return back to me. Um, I watched this movie. For the first time, I watched The Big Chill just shortly after what I alluded to before. One of my close friends died by suicide. And she was a friend of mine from college. And seeing, like, this, the dynamic of this, like, weird group of friends with all of their histories and all of their different dynamics and stuff. And the ways in which they had changed since they went to, I can't remember if it was high school or college. It was college. um, I was, like... Oh my god, like they captured that mood so well. Like being, being like connected again to a lot of people who I had sort of like maybe grown apart from or we had just like our lives were really different now. Like coming together for this like very weird, very sad thing had a really funny effect, yes. you know?
1: You know, you've almost convinced me that I should probably give this another shot.
0: Give it another shot. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm not,
1: I'm not gonna, but <laughs> I, I have too much uh, aversion to that much overt Boomer iconography. I get
0: so, it. I do. And Boomer is, I think that the way that they hold up the big chill is like, yeah, well that's like, of course they're obsessed with it because like, what else do they have?
1: What, besides all the money in the fucking world?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, pop culturally, what do they have? Like, John Denver? Sorry, I don't care.
1: God, my mom loves John Denver so much. It's so much. Of course she does. (laughs) Why wouldn't she? (laughs) But after we did our episode, this is is more classic millennial shit, too. When you tweeted our episode out, you said, I think this is the closest thing we've had to an intelligent conversation on this pod. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's nice. It's also kind of... Uh, backhanded in its delivery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's close, but not quite. And so I knew, I, felt, I knew what you meant.
0: I think that in classic millennial fashion, I oftentimes instead of just like saying, Hey, this was like a cool intellectual conversation. I have to be self deprecating, yeah. be like, this was the closest thing. But I mean, a lot of the time, like on my podcast, it is just a lot of blabber okay i mean by that i just mean like if somebody from i don't know if someone from the new yorker was listening to it they would be like why do people open their mouths but (laughs) i would say for for the common person hopefully they would think like oh wow those are some really intelligent points this is funny this is like well crafted these are interesting things and i'm engaged but Um, I also want to be mindful that I'm not over-intellectualizing, like, Mary-Kate Nashley movies. I don't (laughs) want to be that asshole that has to have a critical reading of pop culture that is not really meant to be critically read. Even though, like, that is what I'm doing on my podcast, I want to have a lightness about it that isn't so – that isn't, like, academic. I want it to be – that has, like, an easier access point. And so – To say, like, this is the closest thing we've had to an intellectual conversation, I think, is to say, like, I am declaring in sort of like a self-deprecating way that this probably was an intellectual conversation. But I don't want to be branded as, like, the highly over-intellectualized podcast. Even though intelligence is something that I really value, I feel like there is a lot of, like, snobbiness that can come with that. And I don't want to be, like, a movie snob. I have, like, we talk about movies that are mostly, like, they're just kind of meant to be, like, surface level for yeah, we're, your enjoyment. We're, we're, you ta-
1: we're talking about disposable pop culture in a lot of ways. Um, and so I totally, yeah. no, I totally understand that. And mostly I'm just lightly teasing you over that.
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> but to, to put the point that I think you're making in a slightly different way, um, what we're trying to do is, like, it's like high culture meets low culture. So, you know, like we can talk about office space in intellectual ways because the the text lends itself well to that. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were to talk about the movie Species, you know, like with Michael Madsen and uh, Mm -hmm. Natasha Henstridge and Alfred Merlina, you know, it's about this sexy woman who's also like a murderous alien. Like that that would be a much (laughs) different conversation. Like we don't need to have... Um, extensive conversations about toxic masculinity with regard to that movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, you know, the, you know, the ra- the, like we talked about the potential radicalization of Michael Bolton in office oh my space. God, yeah. Like you, you can do that there in species. That's a fool's errand. Like why would you do exactly. that? So, exactly. no, I totally get exactly what you're saying, but I, I really liked that, that we could make the intellectual points we clearly both wanted to make. Yeah. But still have fun, like, just observing how true it is that if you cut over into a lane and then that lane stops and then the lane where you just were starts going,
0: <laughs> like, that's just yes. fun to talk
1: so, about. Like, that's gentle slice of life comedy. Yes,
0: absolutely. And that's why I love that movie. Totally. Because it is the gentle slice of life.
1: Yeah. And I, it's, it's fun that we can do both, too. And so... That's one thing that I'm so frustrated by in this culture is there's like a deep vein of anti-intellectualism that runs through a lot of things, and it's like, man, that just because you're smart and you can analyze something critically doesn't mean you have to unfun it. Um,
0: yes, oh look, my god, that's so true. Like, and that's really the point that I try to make on my podcast is that. It's okay to still love something and criticize it. In fact, I think you should. And I, and like, even though sometimes I joke about like, you know, this is a podcast where we ruin your childhood, like, I really (laughs) want, if you love, love actually, I don't want to totally ruin it for you. Like no. maybe a little bit with that. I think that was an, ex- that's an example where I think I do want to ruin it for you, but like, well, per- well love- at, at <laughs> least
1: the Colin God of sex storyline.
0: Oh my God.
1: Uh, go Fucking... ahead and ruin that because that storyline yeah. is pure ass. Yeah. Um. And so, but like, there's, there are things in love actually like uh Emma Thompson is like mm. such a tragic character. Incredible. In that movie. And so you can talk about that and you can go, but also fuck Colin.
0: Like. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I think that a lot of the time, like, I don't know, for instance, with, I'm trying to think of an example, like early in the podcast, we talked about the Lizzie McGuire movie, which I think aged (laughs) flawlessly. (laughs) No notes. No notes. That's it. (laughs) But there were, I mean, there were like a couple of things where we were like, what the fuck is going on? Not just from like, I did this age-old well podcast, but like plot-wise, of course, because it is a Disney Channel original movie. Mm. However, I do, I do want to like call attention to these things that don't age well and also say like, it's okay to still like the things that you like about it. You, we don't have to like ruin everything by criticizing it. And I think that's why there's such a, yeah, it's really a bummer that there is this vein of, I don't know, just like, hating intellectual what am I trying to say in our culture right now there is that vein of anti-intellectualism that keeps us from being critical of the things that we love and I think that it's just like where's the fun in that so we're just supposed to like consume content that we think is totally unproblematic or if it is problematic we're just not supposed to talk about it I don't know I think that kind of stuff is like fun and interesting to talk about. I agree. I I think it's the spice of life. (laughs) I think we need to talk about it. And so I think I feel this pull to, like, have conversations that are interesting, that bring up new points that maybe people hadn't considered, especially in a movie that they haven't seen in, like, at least 10 years. But I don't want to come off as, like, a voice of authority on what needs to be totally, like, Disregarded and cancelled, cause I mean, like, honestly, some of them should be, like, honestly, there are some movies that, like, we just should not watch anymore.
1: Yeah, um, well, and a lot of, but, a lot of movies like that have just been gratefully forgotten, uh, like, in terms of culture yeah. writ large, too. But I think one thing you're alluding to here that you haven't said outright, but is, like, kind of running underneath what you're saying, is anything that can be weaponized is going to be weaponized by someone or another. And you're going, Man, it doesn't have to be such all or nothing trench warfare all the time. Like this cultural warfare shit. Like can we save our powder for things that actually matter? Like yes. getting transgendered people recognized as people? Like, yeah. I
0: like, mean, <laughs> like, should, uh, should this movie be cancelled or not? Yeah. <laughs> or,
1: or like, um, you know, there, there was some criticism for Lynn Manuel Miranda and, and I'm not even talking about in the heights, but like, should you really be lionizing George Washington? And you go, what the fuck are we even talking about anymore? (laughs) Like, What is anyone talking about ever?
0: Right. Or like, can we, can we have that conversation and maybe make it fun and make it like, (laughs) okay, at the end of the day, like, can we still like Hamilton? Yeah, whatever. Like, that's fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The, the norms of the time were such that I, I, I think it would be a mistake to throw out all of the, all of the good and interesting things that our founding fathers did. It, it would be a mistake to do that by focusing on one narrow aspect of their existence. True, problematic, terrible. We should condemn that in every sense that we can. But some, some larger context here is helpful and maybe a, a lighter touch perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. figuring out where these, these battles actually need to be fought versus are, are we just all arguing with each other while we're getting fucked from above? So Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So
1: I don't know. Um, but this is one reason why uh especially I wanted to have you on my show because when I started looking into you and when we were on your show, you mentioned you were a copywriter for a living, and I go, Oh, we got a lot we can talk about, like with a great deal of ease, and that's always super fun to me. Like when you connect with someone like this and you go, Oh yeah, no, this is easy. We know how to talk to each other. It's like we've been doing this forever.
0: Totally. And I also felt the experience on my podcast, like knowing from the jump that you are a person who's really into film studies, a person who is into pop culture, who knows a lot about pop culture despite being 40 and being a dad. (laughs) I I read (laughs) a lot.
1: I don't consume a lot of it. read a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Having someone on the podcast who reads a lot, like... It was cool to be able to speak the same language there, too, and so easily have that conversation. So, yeah, it's cool. It was cool in my experience also to be like, this is a person who, even if we don't know each other that well, we're going to speak the same language and have an interesting conversation about this movie from 20 years ago (laughs) totally which
1: (laughs) um when i found out you you mentioned on kevin and art show that you were born in like 1994 i go holy fucking Mm -hmm. shit so when i'm talking about watching (laughs) office space in college i'm like dude that must seem like i'm like a hundred years old it's like when people would tell me about (laughs) watching tv in their dorms in like 1986 and they'd have to go down to like the common area to go catch Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know fucking moonlighting or something and uh, I'm like, I do not identify with this experience in the least.
0: <laughs> so I'm like talking
1: about like putting the tape in the VCR. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, I'm old enough that I do remember VCR.
1: No, I, belie- I know that you remember it. But like <laughs> I, I'm, sh- I'm certain that I have about a million more at bats with it than you do. So it's like baked into the way I think about things. Like sometimes we'll talk about taping a show. Um, mm-hmm. here just because that's, like, the shorthand. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we all, like, my wife and I know what we're talking about. Like, whether it's on DVR or, because, like, we still have Comcast because we have kids and it's just easier that way.
0: I was just going to say, okay, Boomer, you still have <laughs> cable. <Yeah. laughs> uh,
1: well, you know what, we did the math on it, though, and we figured out which networks we were actually watching and, like, mm-hmm. where the viewing habits were. We actually saved money by, like, going back to Xfinity and not having, like, the, the variety of platforms that we had before that. So. Oh, tight. Yeah. That's cool. So like, it it wasn't just like, a a lot of the okay boomer shit is like, oh, you can't even be bothered to learn how to open a PDF properly or whatever, right? But, like, this is, no, we did all that shit, and then we did the math right. on it, and we actually made, like, a cognizant decision and a choice. You
0: made an informed decision on how to <laughs> consume your content and your kids. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> and,
1: and it <laughs> And it makes us look old as shit, which is always fun. It so. is fun. <laughs>
0: I mean... I love, I like that. I think it's fun. And of course, like if I could, if I could just like afford to have cable and all my other streaming services too, of course I would, but it's also a hassle. Then you have to like be on the phone with people from Comcast and like, you know, all that stuff. But
1: (laughs) I'll tell you one of the jokes that I keep reading is, can we just get around to whenever someone reinvents cable bundles? Because having Mm -hmm. everything on different fucking platforms is just, it's obnoxious.
0: It is we'll get there in the next couple of years. I mean there are already there already are like some of those bundles that you might start seeing, right. but they're gonna become they're gonna become like ubiquitous it'll be it'll be fine, but then of course, like the same three media giants will continue <laughs> to own everything that we consume, so you know what's the point? and they
1: won't even sell it to us. <laughs> we just lease some of the time from them um, exactly like we we're, we're not allowed to own anything anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah it 's like nfts which i don 't understand like hardly at all, yeah but you know it 's like you don 't actually own the thing anymore you just sort of mm-hmm. have this intangible or non fungible i suppose uh, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to really underline the intellectual point that i 'm making here um, <laughs> but, but like you you just sort of lease it and you rent it for a time until you Commodify it and sell it to someone else. And so it's like, wow, it's it's weird that, that we just don't own shit anymore. So
0: I've talked about that a few times on my podcast about like the the DVD collection that I have, and like thinking back to VHS tapes and thinking about how like even if you buy something on like Amazon Prime video or you buy something on iTunes there could be a point and there probably will be where that company like loses the rights to that Mm -hmm. film or they just decide we don't have this anymore. And then like, you just don't have it anymore. (laughs) And so that's why I have like some of my favorite movies. I still have the DVDs and I still have a DVD player. Cause I'm like, I no matter what I want to be able to watch best in show, no matter what the, what the platforms are doing. But I think we're entering an era where like, we just aren't going to own things anymore because like we just stream them.
1: I I don't even own a copy of Microsoft office anymore. I, Mm -hmm. I pay for like uh, a license for it for a year. And Mm -hmm. like you used to have to have the discs and you could install them and shit. And so now like, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what I'm even paying for because like this isn't even something that I want necessarily, but I have to have. And so now That's, I get to rent yeah. it every year.
0: That is so common. I think in like the platforms that we use in our work, like if yeah. we're using any type of design software, if we're using any type of audio software, if we're using any type of like, you know, if we're even using Microsoft Word, like, we need those types of things for podcast production, for like communication platforms, for the, all kinds of things. And it's like you don't own, like you don't own InDesign. Like you have to pay yeah. that subscription, and if you don't pay that subscription, you don't get to do that work.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of a line from uh, Futurama, mm-hmm. where um, this hippie is shouting up at the professor. He's like, "Hey, you can't own property, man." And the professor goes, I can, but that's because I'm not a penniless hippie. So, but now, now we're all just penniless hippies and none of us own fucking anything. Exactly. Um, yeah. all right. Well, this is the time on the show. We got to wrap up, um, where we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they find Did That Age Well? Anything you want to plug? Please do it now.
0: Cool. Well, you can find my podcast, Did That Age Well, on any of your podcast platforms and you can follow us on social at Did That Age Well. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Um and you can follow me on social at Molly Bird Smith. I am on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok trying to connect with the youth. So um <laughs> don't yeah, age you yourself also, too quickly. <laughs> I know, right? Um and you can find it, you can find some of my creative work at portfolio mollysmith.com. You know, just say hey.
1: There you go. Perfect. Well, I will put links to all of that in the Commandium blog piece. That'll be on johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Audible, and whatever other podcatchers are out there. There's like a shitload of them. And but uh, Molly Smith, I'll tell you what, this was an enormous pleasure. I loved getting to hear about this. I loved exchanging stories about writing and talking about pop culture. We should definitely do this again. I'm up for any time you want me on your show, and you're certainly welcome back here. So I wish you nothing but continued success.
0: Oh, thanks, John. Yeah, back at ya.
1: And that'll do it for Episode 312 of the John of All Trades podcast with Molly Smith host of the did that age well podcast a professional copywriter and all around fun person to chat with thank you molly for being on my show can't wait till we can collaborate again the john of all trades podcast is a production of depth Communications. check out Deft on the web d-e-f-t-c-o-m.us if you or your organization is looking to communicate more or better depth communications is who you need to talk to i do all types of pr campaigns outreach campaigns media campaigns and i'm also a professional podcast producer in addition to this show, I've got six other shows under my belt, and I'm happy to get your idea off the ground. I will showrun it for you. All you got to do is hit me up. Email me at jon at dot Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, g r e dot e s. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do that better. Whether you're doing some sort of campaign, using social media, email, internet advertising, marketing they have all the tools they're so good at what they do they'll get your message in front of the people who need to see it most the number four d-e-g-r-e dot E-S. follow me on social j-o-a-t pod is the handle facebook twitter snapchat Pinterest, and instagram facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews those go up on mondays new episodes drop on wednesdays Podcatchers everywhere i'm out of here for this week i've got a brand new episode coming next week stay tuned for that and until i hear you again Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.